AM 1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome back to hour number three here on KDOS AM 1060. It is the extra point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Morsolaro with you up until 1 p.m. right here on KDOS AM 1060 and as always online at KDOS 1060.com. We'll reset the scene here with the poll questions in just a little bit, but we have been joined by Cam Rogers, Lock It In host on Believe Network. Cam, appreciate the time on the program today. Great to be with you. Excited for this weekend. Phoenix Open, Super Bowl. I mean, what a perfect marriage. Absolutely. The excitement is in the buzz is certainly in the air. Uh, and as you mentioned, we're going to be talking about the Waste Management Phoenix Open. TPC Scottsdale, par 71, 7,261 yards. Jay Morris, Tom Weisskopf designed it back in 1986, got a redesign by Weisskopf himself back in 2014 uh, so some things that I at least have paid attention to course stat wise sure. maybe you can uh, agree disagree here strokes gained off of the tee strokes gained tee to green I do think there's some driving distance correlation here in addition to strokes gained on approach 125 to 175 yards and then of course uh, birdies are better when you speak data to me, I mean, it is just heaven right now. And TPC Scottsdale is an interesting golf course to sort of handicap too, right? Because it's not necessarily just about the stats. It's about can you deal with the frat party, alpha sig, if you will, atmosphere, especially on the 16th hole. Here's something that I'm really zoning in on. Every winner since the redesign at TPC Scottsdale has entered positive off the tee on approach and putting over their last 25 rounds, all right? So here who is who qualifies in that region. Keegan Bradley, Brian Harmon, Shane Lowry, Tyrrell Hatton, Hayden Buckley, K.H. Lee, Victor Hovland, Max Homa, Jason Day, Patrick Cantlay, Sunjay M, Tom Hoagie, Xander Shoffley, John Rahm, Tony Finau, and Rory. So I'm thinking the winner comes from there. That's my thought. Right. It has to come from the top. And, and you mentioned it's a star-studded field this week. It is an elevated event. It's actually technically the second elevated event yep. on the PGA Tour schedule this year, but it's the first one with a cut involved. Mm -hmm. um, so Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, they do sit atop the board. Both are two of the hottest golfers in the game right now. Uh, Rory has been here once in 2021 with a tie for 13th finish. Rahm, of course, plenty of experience, went to ASU, even played as an amateur he's never finished outside of the top 20 but at plus 800 that's a little short don't you think yeah that's unbettable territory Kayla and listen we've seen these numbers before especially with John Rahm and actually he has cashed those numbers he has but you talk about this field here this week 22 of the top 25 players in the world I just can't go there to plus 850 or plus 900 I would definitely like the double digits and when you get somebody like a Patrick Cantlay at 21 to 1 I very much prefer that as opposed to a John Rahm because eventually, you know, these guys are going to fall back a little bit. Golf is what I call random and volatile. And even the best of the best will miss a cut or finish T40 
very possible that John Rahm finishes in that realm here this week. So, yeah, I won't go in that direction. I'll go there maybe for a matchup and lay some juice in that regard, but I'm not going there in the outright market. Totally understand on that front. Uh, Scotty Scheffler, he's at plus 1,300. He's the defending champion. This is where it ignited his unbelievable yeah. season last year. His putting stats, though, aren't as good this year. And if you you really are splitting hairs here when you dive into his metrics when it comes to strokes gained on approach and proximity to the hole. He's actually hitting it like a foot further away from the hole, which might be correlating to how he's not making as many putts. However, he's gaining strokes off the tee, and I think driving is really important this week. Yep. Uh, is this the week that Scotty Scheffler says, hey, I'm still in, I'm, I'm still really good? You know, if Scotty Scheffler has a regression type of season, I think that's okay. And because it's a relative term, of course, because he played so darn well last year in every elevated event, like the majors, the WGCs, he was there. And I remember, not to break my arm, patting myself on the back here, this week, last year, I was like, watch out for Scotty Scheffler. He won, obviously, at the Phoenix Open and went on to win the Masters and do other great things that year. So for him, it could be a slow roll a little bit. So as far as putting my own shekels down on Scotty Scheffler here in the early going, I won't do it. I want to see how he does here as we go through the fall swing, excuse me, the Florida swing, and then get some more data behind me before I actually go in on Scotty Scheffler. I haven't seen enough of him, enough good play in that, that regard for uh, me to put any money down. That's a fair point there. I mean, we're, we're literally, we were talking a little bit about this off air, that we're literally splitting hairs when it comes sure. to these players. We are talking about the world's best. So when we're saying, well, this isn't as good, it's still world-class right. talent. Uh, Xander Shoffley at plus 1,400. Uh, he's also never finished outside the top 20 here, including a tie for third and a tie for second in the last two years. You also have Tony Finau, who is a few missed cuts, but a second in 2020. He's a much better golfer now heading into this tournament at plus 1800 and then Colin Morikawa I'm lumping these all got all these guys together at plus 1800 off to a hot start probably should have had a win already and the questions are always what's the putter going to be like for Colin yeah absolutely and listen putting is probably the most volatile part of your game right you really like to lean on your ball striking and you know your driver game and around the green game especially when you're handicapping too right so when I predict a winner, usually it's a guy who is really good with their ball striking and they're progressing in that area, but also showing signs of popping with the putter. And Colin Morikawa can do that. Victor Hovland can do that. It just happens only sometimes, right? And so I think this could be the week for somebody like Colin to figure it out. Now, I think if you didn't play last week, you're probably at an advantage because that was a weird week at Pebble Beach, right? Yeah. With the delays and the weather and the change in the green speeds and obviously a different grass as compared to this week here. So I think that's something to bear in mind with these top players. You mentioned Xander Shoffley. I'm a wait and see with him too, all right? He's dealing with an injury right now. He's probably gonna be 100%, but I would rather see him do it and we can go from there rather than me sort of throw my predictions out there and say this guy's gonna play well. Of course, the proof is in the pudding. He has played well here before, but injuries linger you know you never know so we'll see what happens uh you had already mentioned this player patrick cantlay at plus 2100 uh he didn't have the ball striking that you would expect him to have at the century tournament of champions he hit it much better though at the american express so he kind of bounced back in that way he finished second in the playoff last year in his only appearance also same price justin thomas the putter is consistently plaguing him dating back to the u.s open so this yeah. is uh, quite a quite a few events for him 
him now that he's bleeding strokes on the green. Uh, but these two players in this kind of category, what do you see from them? Yeah, I don't know what's going on with Justin Thomas right now. What I can tell you is that this could be the week for him to sort of reset and perform well. He loves the atmosphere. I'm sure he's here, maybe, possibly. He's kind of a people's person, could be roaming around Radio Row right now. But, you know, I'm more optimistic in Patrick Cantley because, of course, I'm picking him to win. Obviously, a runner-up a year ago picked up his first tour win, by the way, in Desert Golf in 2017, so he likes this kind of vibe. Since the course redesign, nobody has more strokes gained total than one Patrick Cantley. Granted, sample size batters here, but still, he likes this course, and I think he's going to perform well. And also, he's got that mental fortitude to sort of just have that tunnel vision. Even on, like, the 16th hole, I don't care what's going on around him. He can focus in and perform well. So he's my pick to win, and great value, too. I mean, I'm sure the number's probably shorter now than 21 to 1. I'm curious what to... Actually, on FanDuel right now, it's still 21 to 21. 1. Stay in there. I guess I can't move lines, even my predictions. Um, but, yeah, I think he's my guy to win. Uh, Max Homa, he's coming off of a win. He lives here now. Sunjay M, who maybe... Oh, Gosh, Sanjay maybe had the worst ball striking of his career at the Sony Open, but he has certainly bounced back, gained seven strokes on approach at the Farmers. Hideki Matsuyama, who is seemingly always in contention here. Then you also have Tom Kim, Cameron Young, Victor Hovland rounding out that 20 range. Uh, are you in on the Tom Kim mania? I really am, and we go back to ball striking here because that is a reliable, sticky stat. You know, kind of like with the NFL where you can pack your defense and your run game on the road in cold weather, you can rely on that. Tom Kim can rely on his elite iron game and then just be tour average with your putter and you're gonna be T5 every single week and win a few times. So I'm very much in on him this year. I think he could perform well at the Players' Championship. Really love Sun JM. I am very uh, bullish on him here this year. Three out of three cuts made here at TPC Scottsdale, T7 in his first appearance. Five finishes of T7 or better in his last 12 starts. Ranked second in the field in approach, by the way, at the Farmers Insurance Open, of course, second to one Max Homa, who won. So I think that ball striking carries over here this week for Sanjay. I like him for a top 10. I, I love it. Um to that point, any other top 20 or top 40 plays that you like? Because there is some value there. Can I interest you in a little Ricky Fowler mania? I think I'm back on the Ricky train for a top 20 here this week. T11 at the Farmers. He loves this event. Won in 2019, second in 2010. That was a long time ago. Young player back then. And uh, 2016 as well. Love Ricky in that spot. How about a Hayden Buckley top 20 as well? Runner up at the Sony. Elite driver gaining off the tee in 19 straight events. Tee to green game overall is very solid. So I like him. And a little KH Lee for a top 10. Positive off the tee on approach and putting over those previous 25 rounds that key bucket there t7 at kapalua too fifth on tour in greens and regulation this season so put that all together i think these, these are some pretty smart plays i like it uh so it's funny i have my card sitting here and we have some crossovers okay. i too am on patrick cantlay uh i'm also going uh sahith at t in a top 30. gala all right yeah, just, i like that you know I, I can't do the win but i can do a right. top 30. and then also hayden buckley you went a little bit stronger in a top 20. i'm going at top 40 because he still sure. has some plus money there That's a but lot. i i do think that uh he's putting it together this year so far. It should be a fantastic week of golf. I can't actually go this year, but it's on my bucket list to go and, you know, shotgun a beer or something, <laughs> you know, so 
Uh, it's going to be a great week for the city of Phoenix, obviously, so looking forward to it. Absolutely. Well, Cam, I appreciate you taking uh, time on the program, and since your booth setup is just behind us, I'm sure we'll be talking to you. I'll be around. Appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. I appreciate it. Once again, he is Cam Rogers, Lock It In host on Believe Network, right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point, live from Radio Row. Interact with Bob Kemp's poll question on KDUS1060.com. That's KDUS1060.com. And while you're there, check out Bob Kent's bottom line at KDUS1060.com. Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDUS AM 1060. And as always, you can follow along online at KDUS1060.com. Live from Super Bowl Radio Row, Bob Kim, Kayla Mortolaro with you. Mike Tanier has sat down. We have had Mike on for several years now, coming to us from Football Outsiders. It's great to finally meet you. Bob and Kayla with you. How are you today? I'm doing great, and it is amazing to be able to connect names with faces for the first time. We only get together once a year, and when we do, we should celebrate by talking about a big football game that everyone else is talking about. <laughs> I like it. Uh, let's dive into it here. We had you back on the show talking about preseason football, and you had said Eagles over the win total. Yes. Here we are in the Super Bowl. They, one, accomplish that. Two, they're sitting uh, here in the Super Bowl. So how did they overperform your expectations? Did they meet your expectations? What did you think about the Eagles this season? Now, I will say they overperformed my expectation. My boss at Football Outsiders, Aaron Schatz, made them his Super Bowl prediction using DVOA and analytics, and that was the expectation for the Eagles. And, you know, it's hard to say except that on one level – it was hard to see how all their acquisitions would merge this season. And you look at A.J. Brown, and you look at James Bradbury, who came in very late, and, and you look at Hassan Reddick, and you add them up and say, if they all add up to some of their parts, this should be a great team. In the NFL, that never works that way. You bring in somebody else's number one receiver, and there's a lag period. You bring in somebody else's 15-sack guy, and he becomes like a six-sack guy everyone performed the way you would expect them to perform. And that's a testament to Howie Roseman, as a testament to Nick Sirianni, Jonathan Gannon, uh, Stakem, the whole group there. And that's why this team is uh, has surprised a lot of people. Hi, Mike. Uh, hey. Patrick Mahomes' ankle or Jalen Hurts' shoulder, which injury should we be most concerned about when we're handicapping this game? I would say just roll with it and assume that you've got about a 90 to 95% version of Mahomes and a 90 to 95% version of Hertz, and that's kind of a wash either way. I think, uh, you know, the folks who do like the zebra technologies ran the, the numbers on Mahomes' scramble, you know, the fateful scramble that ended with a sign knocking him out of bounds in the penalty. He was the fastest guy on the field in the fourth <laughs> quarter on that, on that uh, uh, leg at the end of that game. So when the chips are down, he will be as close 200% as he needs to be. I think there's been a lot of talk about Jalen Hurts' shoulder because he was a little inaccurate in the 49ers game. He's a little inaccurate a lot. He has the ability to be a little inaccurate because he can run, because his offensive line is phenomenal, and because his receivers are so often open. I don't think his shoulder is a major issue. When you're handicapping those games, wash those things out and try to look at some of the other elements. Mike Tanier, Football Outsiders here on KDOS AM 1060. So you mentioned the DVOA metrics. Yeah. When it comes to metrics, how do the Eagles perform so well on the offensive and defensive fronts? Those two are getting a lot, those units, I should say, are getting a lot of publicity. Well, I, I don't think you need a lot of metrics for the defensive front. 70 sacks, 
in, in the regular season, the most since 1989. That says it all. Uh, we have a number of football outsiders, and it's going up on our preview. If you look at the Eagles running game from, I believe it was week nine, through the playoffs, but take out the Minshew games. You know, there's two starts yeah. where Minshew was in there. It was the second greatest running game of all time during that span. I believe it was the Ravens a couple of years ago when Lamar Jackson was, was putting everybody in the scrambler. That was the number one. So this is a running game that the Eagles possess when it's on that is up there with, like, the Hogs, that is up there with, like, the, the classic Cowboys running game. So the metrics say that's a big factor in the Eagles' success. And, again, on the other side of the ball, 70 sacks, just knocked the quarterback out in the NFC Championship game. Enough said. You mentioned other elements, so let, let's break that down. Chiefs offense against the Eagles defense. You know, what is what are a couple other matchups that uh, you're most intrigued about as far as just a, a, you know, a, either a, a receiver against a, a defensive back or how the Chiefs, how's the Chiefs offensive line try to block that defensive front that you just talk, talked about from the Eagles? You know, I feel like Mahomes will do some of his thing and Kelsey will be Kelsey, but the Chiefs need the other thing. You know, that, that could get them to 17 points, 20 points. They're going to need more in this game. I keep going back to the running game of the Kansas City Chiefs, which, you know, Andy Reid is not a big run-oriented coach by any stretch of the imagination. That offensive line is good but not great. They're built to run the ball. If the Chiefs want to run the ball and, and pound it with Jarrett McKinnon and Isaiah Pacheco, something that they rarely do, it's something that they're also capable of. So if Andy Reid is trying to slow the pass rush down and trying to create play-action opportunities for Kelsey, he might want to do some of the things that Washington Commanders did against the Eagles and had success in the middle of the season. Some other teams did that. Hey, maybe slow it down a little bit, get a four-yard run on first down, get a four-yard run on second down, get the third and two. Maybe you get the play-action bomb to something else, to someone else. Andy Reid does not love that kind of uh, offense and who would you have Mahomes go 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 ham all the time that could be a counterpunch that he could use to open things up speaking of Mahomes and going ham uh, <laughs> you know when it comes to Patrick Mahomes do we give him enough credit I mean we, we talk about him all the time but this stat I saw earlier this week of his 93 career starts 90 of them the Chiefs have had the lead of within one score in the fourth quarter or they have had the lead. In addition to that, this year, no Tyreek Hill. So you could argue that the wide receiver room didn't perform up to the standards. Yeah. Did he elevate his game more? I think he elevated his game. He added a little bit more of a check down conservative. I don't have to score two touchdowns on every pass, which sometimes when he was when he's like doing that kind of game, it's not always as efficient as it should be. I think he added to that efficiency this year. And it's tricky. I was trying to like look at Mahomes on the all-time great quarterbacks list already. Already after what five seasons or six seasons, five seasons as a starter. And he's already top ten in my opinion. Like I would already put him past a lot of these a lot of guys with a lot of Super Bowl rings like a Bradshaw or a Bart Starr or somebody like that. Mahomes is, is more of an elevator of his team than those guys. So he's already, after only a few seasons, getting into that level where you start talking about him and comparing him to, like, Elway or somebody. That's an accomplishment. So he deserves all the accolades he gets, and I'm not sure if we can put enough accolades in front of him the way he's been performing over the last five years. Let's flip this the other side. The, the Eagles' offense against the Chiefs' defense, which matchups intrigue you the most there? Well, I got a chance, and uh, Football Outsiders is up right now, I got the chance to talk to the rookie cornerbacks of the Kansas City Chiefs. Trent McDuffie, Joshua Williams, Jalen Watson. These are guys, they were hurt early in the season or they were getting torched earlier in the season. 
and then they got healthier, they got more experienced, they came around. They're an incredible bunch of young men. I think they've got bright futures in front of them, and they really did a great job throughout the playoffs. But <laughs> these rookies are now facing A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, and uh, they these rookies did a great job. Obviously, they were facing T. Higgins, Jamar Chase a couple of weeks ago, but Joe Burrow was running for his life a lot, and that created mistakes and opportunities for them to kind of uh, like fight to a draw against some great receivers. I don't think it's going to be quite as easy, quote-unquote, for these rookies this week, and I think there's going to be favorable matchups for Jalen Hurts to hit, and he's going to have the time to hit them. Mike Tanier, Football Outsiders here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Points. Uh, Nick Sirianni, he gave up play calling this year and yes. moved it on over to Shane Steichen. Jonathan Gannon, of course, on the defensive side of the ball. We know about Nick Sirianni and his opening press conference when he first got the <laughs> job. Uh, you know, what do we make about how he's developed and does he really personify like Philly sports? I think to a degree, he was Mumbles Magoo in that opening press conference. And, and everybody just like, oh, seven years of rebuilding, we're done here. Um, and I, I don't think like being the most articulate, verbose guy at an opening press conference, that's not what he does. He is a, a little bit like Andy Reid in that he is a delegator. He will turn things over to other guys. He is a motivator, and he's a motivator of young players. And there is a degree to which he typifies. I have a friend who referred to him as like the local gym teacher. Like, he's a local gym teacher. He's walking out and he's slapping the guys in the back like, hey, bruh, we're going to win today, bruh. And that's a little bit of a Philadelphia mentality. That's obviously not who he is all the way. There's layers below that. But that that, that blue-collar attitude and, and that whatever it takes to win mentality, he's not, he's not like, married to a scheme or things like that. Those things have, have really made him a very popular man in the city of Philadelphia. Hey, Corey, let's stretch just here a bit. Okay, so since we're stretching along, let's get to special teams. Uh, you know, the Chiefs have had some issues on special teams from time to time. I assume the Eagles have the edge in special teams? Actually, it looks as though when you pull everything out, the Chiefs have a little bit of a special teams advantage. Uh, Harrison Butker has, has been pretty consistent this year. Their coverage games are good. You look at the Eagles, they've had two different punters this year. Uh, Britton Covey has taken over and, and solved an emergency as a return man. But their coverage teams are a mess, and their coverage teams were a problem in some of the games down the stretch there. Uh, yeah, I would be stunned if this turned into a special teams type of game, but I am keeping an eye on, for example, who will be returning kicks, for, or excuse me, punts, I should say, for the Chiefs. They've had some success with that. In the past, they don't have Cole to put back there. I don't know if they're going to throw a Kadarius Tony out there. But there's a chance that if this hinges on a special teams play, I think that's one place where it could go either way. When it comes to trying to figure out who wins this game, uh, on paper it does seem like it should be fairly close. Yes. What do you think ends up happening? I think it should be very close. Uh, my, um, Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders, when people are saying who's going to win, keeps saying the over. <laughs> he said, I'm just going to take the over. And, and uh, I think that's a good way, especially if you don't have a rooting interest. Yeah, I think that's the that's the hit there. I'm looking towards the Eagles. Uh, our metrics lean slightly towards the Chiefs, and we're talking. I don't know, have the right number, like 51 to 49 percent, and that's more of a pick'em than anything else. The Eagles have all these smaller advantages, but the Chiefs have Mahomes, Reed, Kelsey, and Chris Jones. That's like four Hall of Famers, like the four best people on the field are going to be the Chiefs, and then five through 40-whatever are probably the Eagles. So take that where you go. I'm leaning towards the Eagles for a victory. Last and up for me oh, here. I'm sorry, just one more quick yeah. thing here. 
You mentioned uh, you know, Andy Reid and you know the Sirianni, the experience factor. Obviously, the Chiefs have been there, done that, etc. And you know the Eagles have got some guys that have been there, but yeah. the coaching staff is different. Is there, does that factor into your you know, your thought process here at all? Yeah, I don't think anybody prepares for games like this like Andy Reid. I think he's on an all different level. You can look at his record with a week to prepare. And it's ridiculous and stratospheric. And in Philadelphia, we used to talk about that 12, 13 years ago. Oh, it's a, after the bye, Andy's going to clobber you. That's the case. Don't overestimate it, though, because you said there's a few guys. There are a lot of Eagles who are on that Super Bowl team. You, know, you think of Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, Lane Johnson, Travis Kelsey. If you go to the bench, there are a lot of guys who are wide-eyed rookies at that point. Um, and they're, they're now still playing roles on the team. So I think up and down in every position room, there's somebody who can look around and say, hey, it's the Super Bowl. This is how you stay focused. This is how you prepare. And those guys can in turn help a, yes, absolutely true, uh, somewhat inexperienced coaching staff. Before we let you go here, Mike, I'm crowdsourcing. What's your prop for Sunday? I heard a good one from another show. The number of people to attempt the pass over 2.5. Okay. So you, obviously there's two people who are going to attempt the pass. Uh-huh. Okay. So you get backup quarterbacks. No one wants injuries, but that's a potential. And you get all the trick plays in the world. Now, I, I don't know what the number was on this. Uh, the Eagles do not run a lot of trick plays. But if you look at the, uh, you, you look at the Chiefs, Kadarius Tony could throw a pass. Jarek McKinnon can throw a pass. I believe Tommy Townsend, Townsend, the punter, ran a fake punt this year. And just from a standpoint of I'm watching this game and I want something wild to be able to jump up for joy for the halfback pass, the fake field goal, that's the thing that I would love to play, and I'm probably going to play it as soon as I get home. Awesome. Mike, it's great to meet you. Uh, Thank you so much for the time, and uh, we'll put you down for the Eagles. Absolutely. Thank you. Once again, he is Mike Tanier, and you can follow him and all of his work at Football Outsiders. Uh, We are going to head to a break here on KDOS AM 1060, and as always, online at KDOS1060.com. And if you missed it from earlier this morning as well, the new KDOS app has launched. Uh, Android users, you're going to have to wait a couple of days, but Apple users... Uh, go ahead and download it now, KDUS 1060. We'll have some rewards and things up there for you on the app. And uh, go ahead and download that, KDUS 1060. On the other side, we will be back here from Radio Row. He is Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. And as always, you can follow us online at KDOS1060.com. Live from Super Bowl Radio Row here in downtown Phoenix. And it was a fast and a furious start to our number three, where we were joined by Cam Rogers with some Waste Management Phoenix Open discussion. In addition to that, Mike Tanier and his uh, thoughts on the Super Bowl 57 matchup between the 
Chiefs and the Eagles. Uh, so let's first do a quick reset of the poll questions, and then we will dive into some other things in regards to what Mike Tanier had to say. Who wins mm -hmm. Super Bowl 57? KDOS1060.com's poll question, Chiefs or Eagles? Corey, what are the updated results? Leading still is the Eagles. 64% of the vote right now on KDOS1060.com. Chiefs sitting kindly at 36%. On Twitter at KDOS AM 1060, we did have Mike Palm from Circa Sports on earlier in the program. Are you going to wager on Super Bowl 57? Corey, where do we stand there? Split right down the middle, 50-50, yes and no. All right, Bob, in, in regards to some of the things that Mike Tanier said there, uh, he's on the Eagles side, uh, but when it comes to the matchups that he was discussing with some of the secondary uh, items, uh, opportunities that are available in this contest. Uh, what do you make about being able to exploit those opportunities? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things to pay attention to during the game, uh, and if you're in game betting, this might uh, you know, be a, a, you know, something to think about too. Uh, the fact that the Chiefs, they did give up some big pass plays during the season, but they got better at that during the you know, course of the last what, quarter of the season or so. So, but, uh, you know, this goes back to the hurt shoulder thing, too. And he clearly uh, has not been uh, incredibly accurate, uh, whether that's a shoulder thing or maybe just a quarterback that was off that day, even if his shoulder's okay. Uh, I think that's something to pay attention to. Obviously, the Chiefs, with all their inexperience in the secondary, I think that's something that certainly, if the, uh, if the Eagles are confident in Hurts' health, that's something that they try to exploit. And also, just one other quick thing that Mike mentioned that uh, stands out here to me. Uh, he mentioned uh, the, uh, the prop bet, you know, the, the, how many passes, you know, how many people throw a pass. So, you know, just throwing one little thing here. You know, Jarek McKinnon at one time, one time of his life used to be a quarterback, by the way. Uh, and Andy Reid likes some trick plays. Andy Reid does like him some trick plays. And uh, I'm interested to see how many we see or really what the – if anyone has to rein him in, say, well, Andy, we've been That's really right. successful up until this point, just kind of playing straight up ball here. Let's rein in the trick plays for the biggest game of the year. Uh, but to your point, when we're talking about the um, ability to exploit the secondary that the Chiefs have, I think this is a really interesting matchup because we talk so much about how good uh, the Eagles' offensive line is, and clearly the strength of the Chiefs on the defensive side of the ball is their defensive front with Frank Clark, with uh, Chris Jones, being able to get pressure. So who wins that battle, which then I think helps determine what happens in the secondary? I actually favor the Eagle offensive line here just because they've got, you know, such a stout group. You know, we think Dickerson's okay. Remember, he was injured during the, the uh, conference championship game, had the hyperextended elbow, but it appears he's all right. In fact, I mean, really haven't even heard that brought up the last couple of days. Uh, and certainly Lane Johnson on the right side. We know that his groin is going to require some kind of uh, or oblique, excuse me, going to require some kind of surgery at, at some point here. But he uh, has made it through the last couple of games, and he's been fortunate, and the Eagles have been fortunate that they've had healthy leads, and he hasn't had to play from start to finish. 
So can Johnson make it through a, let's say, if this game on Sunday is close, which I think a lot of people are hoping it is. Certainly the NFL is hoping it is. Television networks are hoping it is. Uh, but if it is a close game, can Lane Johnson make it through an entire game or not? I don't think that's anything we know yet, just based on the first two playoff games that they've faced. And obviously they've crushed their opponents in the first two games. They're plus 55 in point differential in two playoff games. Happening now is the typical Roger Goodell state of the NFL address. Uh, I'm sure he's somewhere on the premises here uh, down at Radio Row. But certainly uh, you will find out what he has to say after we're done with the show here. But I have to think that a couple of the things that he absolutely needs to address, um, because I've talked about it as a perception problem with the officiating. I know we were able to catch up with Dean Blandino and kind of get his thoughts on the officiating. But certainly some of the bigger moments with the most eyeballs caught our attention with some of the confusion. There's been uh, lots of conversation as well. Uh, In general, I don't it's an interesting debate whether or not this really fixes anything if you make them full-time referees, but I do think that there is a perception problem, so I'd have to think that he's going to address officiating, but I don't really think the NFL thinks it's that big of a problem. Yeah, I'm not sure. I've been trying to follow along here. It's on. Uh, I've been watching uh, NFL Network and also ESPN on, and they've both been carrying this live. And interestingly, uh, in itself, you have the uh, Kaylee Hartung is kind of moderating this. Uh, that's much different than the past. They still have people, media people, and and uh, you know, Jason Kelsey and you know Travis Kelsey's mom asked a question, and they have a child ask a question. I haven't seen anything. I haven't seen every question because obviously we were on with Mike in the last segment, but I have not seen the officiating thing even brought up yet. I've seen everything from the Pro Bowl uh, to uh, you know, the Hamlin injury and how the NFL handled that. But I, you know, like I said, I might have missed it, but I haven't seen anything yet as far as officiating goes. I do think an interesting conversation that might be brought up as well is maybe the international impact that the NFL has, obviously yeah. expanding where in which they're playing all of these games, Germany, Mexico City, London, multiple London games as well, and certainly their reach is not slowing down and addressing the fact if we're going to see soon a permanent overseas team. Yeah, I, I once again, that's another thing I haven't seen brought up. And I remember back in the years where you know I actually attended these things. Uh, you know, you know when it was here, when it was I was in Tampa for the Cardinals Super Bowl. Uh, I remember before they did a lot of you know, before the international games had expanded. They used to have I don't know if it was a plant in the crowd or how that worked amongst the media. Remember they had a gentleman from Mexico. It seemed like it was there on the annual basis asking, well, when are we going to have a game on an annual basis? And that's uh, how things have changed, quite frankly, as far as the international flavor. Albert Breer must be at this press conference live and just tweeted out NFL commissioner on officiating, quote, for us, when you think when you look at officiating, I don't think it's ever been better in the league. So there we go. We have our officiating quote on okay. on time. Yeah, I assume they're downstairs in some big ballroom. Just guess what I'm guessing, because it doesn't seem like they're they're not in the middle of the like radio row and like the middle of the room or anything like that. No, they are not. Uh, they must be upstairs in a conference room because right. we are in the um, basement. 
Yeah. We used to, I remember uh, back in the Tampa days, uh, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band were being introduced literally right above where we were at while we were broadcasting, and I kind of wanted to go upstairs. <laughs> we wrap up hour number three of Extra Point live from Radio Row on the other side of the break. segment of today's Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060 and as always online at KDOS1060.com live from Super Bowl Radio Row and it's that time once again Bob it is thank you time as always we thank you for listening special thanks to the callers, emailers, tweeters texters, whomever and whatever else sip through the cracks also our guest today AJ Perez from Front Office Sports, Mike Palm from Circus Sports Cam Rogers, uh, will Waste Management Phoenix Open plays and some discussion, and also Mike Tanier from Football Outsiders. Also, uh, we'd like to uh, thank, as always, Kayla and Corey and Aaron, and uh, and Dave obviously helped us set all this up, and uh, so thanks to him, and uh, Kayla's going to tell us what's coming up next. I will add one other thank you in there as well. Thanks to Max. He's been sitting with me all day as well. Uh, Coming up next from 1 to 3 p.m., it is the Doug Gottlieb Show, followed by the Rich Eisen Show from 3 to 5, the Sports Zoo with Dave Rooster Bierstein from 5 to 6. And uh, if you're anticipating Top of the Valley with Coach A, ASU Women's Basketball Conversation hosted by Jeff Munn, uh, I received an email last night. Some technical difficulties occurred for them in the recording process of the show so no coach a top of the valley tonight at 7 p.m instead the next time you'll hear from jeff munn will be in the broadcast as asu women's basketball is back on the court on friday night i do want to make mention here as you mentioned bob uh, cam rogers believe network for waste management phoenix open discussion the full card here for me it's quite extensive here i got very excited about this elevated event We'll see if I'm uh, a happy camper at the end of the day or not. Um, uh, The number that I ended up getting on Scotty Scheffler was better than what it is now. So apparently a lot of people are feeling Scotty Scheffler this week. I got him at plus 1,500, as I mentioned with Cam. Patrick Cantley at plus 2,100. Going to Hideki Matsuyama at plus 2,800. Justin Thomas, top 20, plus 105. I couldn't believe he was plus money to finish in the top 20. Hideki also riding with him in the top 20 at plus 125. As I mentioned with Cam, Sahith Tagala top 30 plus 150. Tommy Fleetwood top 40 plus 120. Hayden Buckley top 40 at plus 165. So we'll see how the WM Phoenix Open goes as that gets started today. I saw J.J. Watt was out there playing in the Pro-Am and guess who his caddy was, Bob? It was one Cardinals linebacker Zaven Collins. (laughs) Obviously, uh, the hard knocks thing, we learned that those guys are tight. I I imagine there's trash talk going on there, too, I suppose. I would have to think so. It doesn't seem like they lack for that opportunity when they they have it. They seize it. Definitely not. They uh, escalated trash trash talk to a new level. (laughs) 
So this report came out yesterday. Uh, Pac-12 Commissioner George Kliakoff is set to meet with SMU today. Obviously, in terms of what's going on with the Pac-12, they need to expand uh, because if they're not readdressing the Pac-12 and moving on from any sort of Big 12 conversation, and if the opportunity is to keep the Pac-12 intact and not disband, then you need to expand. So it looks like SMU is a particular team that is on the Pac-12 radar. Obviously. Or school, you know, I the, should say. Yeah, right. The, the Dallas market, the Dallas, you know, Fort Worth area, uh, no question that that seems to be a, a target. It, it also I, it seems like it's like a foregone conclusion that San Diego State's going to be joining, but I've been hearing that literally for 30 years. So I'll, you know, I guess uh, I'll believe it when I see it, even though it certainly seems to be much more of a realistic possibility now than it was in the past. There was also some talk that Gonzaga would join as far as a basketball member because, uh, you know, they're always trying to look uh, to, to upgrade from the WCC, even though... Uh, you make a case that the WCC might have more top, uh, you know, I'd say the top four or five teams from the WCC this year, not too far off from the Pac-12 and uh, the Mountain West Conference. You know, I have a question for you, and you mentioned that San Diego State has been a topic of conversation to expand into a new role uh, for for 30 years. And when we look at markets, that's what we're always, always kind of trying to figure out. And you mentioned the Dallas market for SMU. Is the San Diego market, like, do people actually care about San Diego State football? I mean, I feel like there's probably very similar similar situations when it comes to uh, people being diehard San Diego State fans because there's so many other options for activities for people to get involved with. Yeah, I'm not sure. That's a really good question. I think certainly basketball-wise, they've become the best, uh, you know, con the best program in the Mountain West Conference almost every year for, wow, uh, you know, for several years running now, at least a decade. Uh, so, you know, if they're talking about Gonzaga for basketball and like San Diego State's a basketball thing, you know, the one obstacle we heard about San Diego State for years as far as not joining the Pac-12 was the academic requirements, uh, which I'm not sure if they've changed over the years, but I know certainly at one time they were not considered to be at Pac-12 level. Do you think that uh, the Pac-12 expanding, I mean, they have no choices at this point. They have to go into this realm. SMU, San Diego State, uh, when we, when we try to figure out these top conferences, the Pac-12 has kind of been sliding further and further down. This really doesn't bolster the conference, though, does it, in terms of competitiveness? I'm not positive, not sure how to answer that, just because of, you know, let's just say SMU does become part of this. And does that uh, give the, what kind of presence does that give the Pac-12 in the state of Texas and if you're just talking football recruiting, the state of Texas, you know, the Pac-12 schools have been you know, getting players from there for a while, but not on a regular or a, you know a large amount of you know, players per uh, per per, uh, per school. I wonder. I would assume that would change things and and make things a little bit better, and there'd be some kind of uh, residual effect on a positive side. And. 
You know what? I just realized this. So let's do this now before I forget, and then we'll get back into the conversation here. Uh, Porta Subs, they have been the sponsor here of the Big Game Catered Party, and you head on over to KDOS1060.com to uh, get yourself qualified for the opportunity to win that Big Game Catered Party. But right now, it's caller number 2, 602-260-1060 for the Lunch for Two gift certificates to Porta Subs. And always check them out at portasubs.com to find a Valley location nearest you and order online that's 602-260-1060 for caller number two for those lunch for two gift certificates Corey will take your call caller number two when it comes to top 25 matchups tonight bob on the hardwood you have number 23 creighton at seton hall number six tennessee at vanderbilt number two houston hosting tulsa number three alabama hosting florida and what we've been spending a lot of time on with number 25 san diego state at utah state do any of these top 25 matchups entice you yeah, I think a couple of those. You mentioned uh, San Diego State. We were asked about Utah State last week, and I have not watched a ton of Utah State this year. I know they're both 19 and 5, uh, so maybe I should have watched them by now, uh, but I haven't watched as much. You know, Creighton's a team that's definitely got my attention here lately. You know, they weren't full strength when they had a you know they had a five or six game losing streak uh, in the months of you know, Nash, uh, November slash December. But since they've gotten their team back intact and, you know, they have a sophomore class, including, uh, you know, a couple of players that have some Valley connections that has really improved during the season. And uh, I think much higher of Creighton right now than I did earlier in the season, even when they were healthy. Yeah, I remember we talked about Creighton preseason basketball, and I said there was a lot of love for Creighton in the, the outright market, and you were kind of like, Creighton? So what exactly has kind of changed your opinion about them? Just the fact that their young players have gotten so much better. Um, you know, normally, I think the, I'm, I'm guessing that the, but the biggest reason that uh, – I'm not guessing. I'm sure that the biggest reason I was skeptical about Creighton at the start of the season – is they've had a lot of really good teams and they've scored points, but they haven't been able to guard people. They've gotten better on defense, uh, and that's another thing that I think the young players have definitely, definitely excelled at so far during the season. Well, that'll do it for the expanded version of Extra Point today, live from Radio Row. Uh, AJ Perez, Mike Palm, Cam Rogers, Mike Tanier, a full day of guests, and we'll certainly have much more coming your way tomorrow. Live from Radio Row for Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro, and of course, remember, if you're an Apple user, it's now available. The KDOS AM 1060 app. Get into your Play Store, type in KDOS 1060, and download the app today. Day. Android users, you're coming up here shortly. Excited to be able to provide the app to you. You can always listen on terrestrial radio, KDOS AM 1060, and online at KDOS1060.com. Have yourselves a fantastic Wednesday. Talk to you tomorrow at 10 a.m.